Um, so this morning we'll be thinking about giving, which kind of doesn't really uh, fit with one Peter, but when we, <laughs> when we first had the conversation with Mackie, it was, uh, it was about the only date that worked for me. Um, let's just pray before we start. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather here this morning. Lord, as we think about this subject now that you exemplified in uh, how you loved us. Father, meet with us this morning now. Holy Spirit, please, wherever we're at, just touch us and um, get your words into our hearts this morning, Father God. Amen. So, it's quite a difficult topic. I really struggle preparing for this, actually. And I'm standing up here this morning, not because I've got it sorted, but actually I'm standing up here this morning having been challenged quite a lot, just in terms of... Uh, I guess God poking me a bit uh, for some of the stuff we're going we're gonna to think about this morning. And while it's giving, it's not just about money. That'd be a mistake. Uh, I think you know, giving, in, in terms of how we want to think about it this morning, it's, it's bigger than that. It's about our resources, it's about our skills, it's about our experiences, it's about our time. So as we go through what, you know, and, and, and think a bit about what giving means in, in, in God's eyes... Don't restrict it to just, just thinking about money. And I haven't got time to read it this morning, but the starting point um, for all of this is it's about ownership. You know, the parable of talents in, in Matthew 19, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's familiar to a lot of us. You know, the master gives five talents to one servant, two talents to another, and one talent to the, the, the third servant. But the point was it was the master's talents. It was the master's money that the servants started with. They were stewards of it. And that's the starting point for what we think about this morning with giving. That actually, what we've got isn't ours, it's God's. So that's, that's like an implicit assumption to everything that's, uh, that we're, 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 we're going to think about. But I want us to think about it in relation to um, both as a church and as individuals. So a couple of passages I just want us to look at. Um, the first is 2 Corinthians I'm going to read uh, a few verses. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you've got a Bible. And we're just going to read uh, verses 1 to 7. So I'll just start reading it while, uh, while, while you find it. So Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel at this grace of giving. And then Paul goes on to talk a bit more about you know, what he wants him to do and Titus going to Corinth. I'm just jumping ahead to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, verse 6. So he's just wrapping up. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed 
and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We'll come back to that. That's, you know, kind of giving in the context of church. So we'll look at one more passage as well before we start to unpack it a bit. And that's in, in Mark chapter 12. And it's Mark chapter 12, verse 41. It's the story of the, uh, the, the widow. So Mark 12, verses 41 to um, 44. So Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she put in everything, all she had to live on. So, we're going to think about giving. Um, Before we think about what giving is, I'd like to just briefly knock down a couple of things and say what giving is not. And... It's kind of important to get this out of the way because we're so conditioned to the society that we, we, we live in. And the first thing that giving is not is giving is not about an amount of money. So giving is not about an amount of money. So in this um, Mark passage here, you know, the, what the widow put in, it was two lepta. It's like two, it's the, it was the smallest coin. The equivalent today would be two one peas. So Jesus is saying, look, this widow who put in two one peas, two pence, has given more than somebody who gave, I don't know, a million million pounds. So whatever God's measure of giving is, God's measure of giving is not an amount of money. Because somehow 2p is worth more than, e.g., you know, 1 1 million pounds. And that principle is seen throughout the Bible. You know, an example would be the parable of talents again, where what the master says is, look, one servant, you've got five talents. One servant, you've got two. Another servant, you've got one. He doesn't say to the servant with two, why haven't you made five? You know, what he says is, look, I'm going to measure you on what you're doing with what you've got. I'm going to measure you on what you do with what I've given you responsibility for. So the starting point for all of us here this morning is, you know, I know in the past, I, you know, it's applied to me, you, you kind of think, if only, you know, if only I had more money, or if only I had those skills, or if only I was like that person over there. And the point is with God, that doesn't matter. God cuts through all of that. God says, look, giving, the starting point for giving is not an amount of money or not. It's about what you do with what I've given you. So no excuses. The second thing about giving is that giving is not public. And, you know, this this passage about the, the, the widow, it comes off the back of, if you look at the previous few verses, the Pharisees who are who are acting unjustly, but yeah, they're giving these massive amounts into the treasury. They're, you know, they're, yeah, look at me, look how much I'm, I'm giving. You look at our world today, you, know, you see hospital wind donated by so-and-so, or a university building named after so-and-so. And you even see it in the church. You know, we're looking at Acts 5 um, in Foundation a couple of weeks ago, and you know, that Ananias and Sapphira, that was a difficult passage. But it was about, it's about their motives. And so when God looks at giving... You know, actually, giving's not a public thing. God's looking at our motives. And you know, the whole thing as we get into this and we start thinking about what giving is, it's really important for us to understand that um, God's looking at it differently. God's economy is an upside-down economy. 
You know, when you look at the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it starts off with, you know, kind of, you know, the weak over the strong. And it starts with the last, you know, we'll, we'll be first. God looks at things differently. And so if we want to understand giving, which we're going to start to un- un- unpack, we've got to get away from all the way the world looks at it normally. You know, it's not about an amount of money. It's not being, it's not being seen. It's about doing something with what God has given us. So let's think a bit about what giving, giving is based on, um, on, on these passages that we read. And there's, four, you know, there's so much to be said. There's four things I want us to think about this morning in, in particular. The first is, is this. So true giving is costly. Okay? True giving is costly. So go back to the, um, the, 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 the story about the widow. How can two pence be worth more than you know, bundles of 50s, one million pounds, whatever it is. It's because God's got a different measure. So we look at the outside when we judge giving, but God actually looks at the inside when he judges giving. So the reason that widow was able to give more than all those other people is that it cost her more. And that's another principle you see in the Bible. We haven't got time to look at it now, but there's... um, you know, there's a passage in, in, in 2 Samuel, chapter 24. You can go away and read it, read it later if you want. You know, I love David. He's so visionary. He got who God was, and he saw through all the stuff that was happening, um, you know, th- through all, all the Old Testament laws. And in 2 Samuel 24, David, David's got it wrong again. And he's brought a plague on the people. And God says to, to David, look, in order for this plague to finish, okay, you need to go and make a sacrifice at this place called Aruna's threshing floor. And so David goes up to Aruna's threshing floor, and David says to Aruna, I want to buy your threshing floor to make a sacrifice to God to end this plague. And Aruna says, here you are, take it for free. And David says, you know, verse 24, I'm not going to sacrifice to God that which costs me nothing. I'm not going to sacrifice to God that which costs me nothing. And there's this principle that David got hold of, that look, for it to be worship, it's got to cost us something. And so the reason that the widow was able to give more in Jesus' eyes is because it cost him more. And the challenge that I find in that for me is where's the cost to me? You know, if you're like me, you get into a bit of habit. This is what I give. This is what I do. And actually, over time, it becomes routine. And then God says, where's the cost? What's it really costing you to give to me? So the second thing, first is true giving is costly. The second is that true giving requires faith. And true giving will push us into the place of faith. So look at this widow, again in in, in Mark. Jesus says, she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So that widow was reckless. She'd taken, she didn't have much money. And what she had, she gave, it really cost her. But the consequences of her giving that, she had to depend on God. She's putting all her chips down on God. You know, she was seeking first the kingdom of God. And again, that's, that's a challenge to me. If we want to understand true giving, it's going to push us into the place of faith. It's going to take us out of our comfort zone. And it's something that you know, I think we see in the Bible that God loves extravagant gestures. God loves it when we're reckless. You know, when, Jesus, when Peter stepped out of the boat onto the water, Jesus didn't criticise him for having a go and failing. 
yeah, I'm sure he was delighted that, gosh, Peter, your faith, you want to be out there with me. That's wonderful. And if we want to really understand giving, both as a church and as individuals, if we embrace what we're, we're unpacking here, it's going to push us into the place of faith. That's going to be scary. But God loves it when we're reckless for him. He loves it when we're in that place where actually only he can deliver for us. It's really struck that um, New Wine a couple of years ago, there was one, one of the guys talking. He was sharing a story where he and his wife, they were living with um, her parents and they'd been saving up for a house. They got to, I think it was about £15,000, which was what they, what they needed for the deposit. And he'd been at a meeting and he'd heard about this youth project that they, somebody was trying to get going in South Africa. And he was walking home, praying about it, and he felt God was challenging him to, you need to give to this. And he was having that conversation with God. Well, I think we've only got the deposit for the house. We're saving really half the deposit for the house. And by the time he got home, he just felt it was, we've got to give our deposit for our house away to this. So he shared it with his wife, and they, they did it. So they stepped out. They gave their deposit for their house away to this, this project. And a few weeks later, he was, he was speaking at, uh, at New Wine. And uh, it was one of the seminars. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a scheduled giving occasion or anything like that. But he's sharing this story. And... I think the project was trying to raise about £50,000. So anyway, during this seminar, somebody starts walking down and just puts a £20 note on the front of the stage. And then somebody else comes up. And then somebody else comes up. And by the end of the session, they'd raised £35,000. So they'd kind of got to the 50000 And then um, there was an article a few months later in the UI magazine. It turns out that after that, this couple, somebody anonymously, had then given them £15,000. So the whole circle had gone round. Them stepping out in faith, this project in South Africa getting the funds, and then God coming back and, and, and blessing this couple. And, you know, I'm sure that doesn't happen, happen every time, but the point is, actually, if we're going to embrace the true spirit of giving, it is going to require us to step out in faith as individuals and as a church, and God loves it when we're in that place where it's reckless for him. And then that's the point at which he, he, he intervenes. That's where this widow was. She put herself out there for God, and that's why her giving meant so much to, to Jesus and was worth more in his eyes. The third aspect of um, true giving is about our attitude. I'll probably flick to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 here. Sorry, chapter 9. <clears throat> so 2 Corinthians 9. So the third aspect of true giving is that true giving is about our attitude. It requires um, willingness. So just reading 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, verse 7. It says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, all this stuff we're thinking about with giving now, God's not going to force us. God's going to invite us. In the parable of the talents, the servants had a choice with what they did, did with it. Two out of the three did something with it. They invested it wisely. One out of the three didn't invest it wisely. And in terms of our response to today, God's not going to force us. God's going to invite us. God wasn't you know, forcing the widow to give the, you know, the, two, the two pence. You know, he left it to the widow. And you know, if we're going to learn to be true givers, God's not going to force us. He's going to invite us. Guys, do you want to participate in this with me? 
If you look at um, the start of 2 Corinthians 8, which, which we read, when you read that, Paul's saying it's these churches in Macedonia, they wanted to be part of it. They saw what God was doing and they wanted to be part of it. So the objective for me talking here this morning isn't for people to go out here feeling guilty. Because that's not how God works. God wants to invite us to see what he's doing and to respond to that. There's a story um, that I read about Billy Graham. And it was when when he was quite young. He and his wife had gone to a church, didn't have, much, didn't have much money. And they had a collection, and he put in what he thought was $10, or a $10 bill. He got back home and realised that actually what he'd done was put in a $20 bill, not a $10 bill, which impacted their budget for the, for, for the week. And his wife, you know, in the way that you know, wives, wives do sometimes, sort of said, oh, that's, that's a shame, you've lost twice. He was like, what do you mean I've lost twice? And she said, well... You know, not only have you given $10 away more than you expected to give $10 away, but even worse, because of the attitude in which you gave it away, God's only credited you with giving $10 away. Because you were... <laughs> <laughs> She's probably right. Um, so, you know, so, so the purpose of this morning, in terms of where, and, and where we go later with response, is it's not about a guilt trip. It's about God saying to us, guys, look, if you get hold of who I am, you're going to respond willingly as part of this. You're going to see it as a, like the, the Macedonian churches did here. It's saying, you know, the, the background of Macedonian churches, they were in poverty. They had enormous trials going on. Yet, they wanted to participate. They wanted to send this, 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 this offering. Then the fourth aspect of true giving is generosity. So true giving is generous. And there's a really good definition of what generosity looks like. It's in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's verse 3. So Paul's writing about them again, Macedonian churches and their their gift. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. So think about being a generous giver. It's 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 giving more than you can afford. And um, that's a principle, again, runs right through the Bible. You look at righteousness is a key thing. But you look at the sermon on, you know, Matthew sort of 5, 6, 7, and there are, it's all about righteousness and the kingdom of God. And there are two principles that run through it. One is give more than you can. You know, whether it's turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. And the other one is take less than you should. Give more than you can, take less than you should. And if we want to grab hold of giving, then actually, if we really want to um, be generous, it means going further than, than, than we're able to. Could the widow afford those two, two pennies? Probably not. But she did anyway. I think you see that again, the parable of the, um, the, you know, the, the talents. It's about what we do with what we've got. You don't get the servant with two talents saying, oh, what a shame I didn't get five. What you say what you see is the master saying, what do you do with what you've got? So when God looks at us this morning, he doesn't look at so-and-so earns X, so-and-so has Y talents, you know, skills, whatever it may be. And you know, what God says is, look, here's what I've given you. Now what are you going to do with what I've given you? Are you able to put cost, faith, willingness, generosity into what I've given you? I'm not going to force you. I'm going to invite you. It's up to you guys. 
So yeah, so rather than getting sucked in focusing on what we don't have, I think it's important we actually focus on what we do have and then say to God, okay, what does it mean to be generous in that place? What does it look like for me to go further than I naturally would in that place as the Macedonian churches are done, are done here? So we've got what giving is not. And we've just picked out four things on what giving is. But it's really important that actually um, we start to understand this as individuals and we understand this as a church because actually giving has got spiritual consequences. Talks here in, in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 9, verse 6, you know, Paul saying, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There's this link between understanding giving and our spiritual harvest as individuals and as, and as a church. And that can work for good or it can work for bad. So an example of where it works for bad is in Malachi chapter 3. Again, we haven't got time to read it. But in the Old Testament, the idea was that you had tithes, but tithes weren't giving. Tithes was just, if you like, a tax, what you were required to do. And it was only when you went beyond the 10% that you really started giving in God's eyes. And in Malachi chapter 3, the people, you know, uh, you know, what they should be doing is the first harvest of the year, they should be setting aside 10% of that for God. And they weren't. And God's, and, and you know, I guess, not, not trying to defend it, but their thinking was probably, <gasps> if we give 10% of the first harvest away, what if the second harvest does fails? Where does that, where does that leave us? But God cuts through it and says, guys, look, where's your faith in this? Not only are you robbing me, of what I rightfully, you know, deserve. But if you actually grabbed hold of stepping out in faith and giving me the first 10% of this harvest, or your second harvest, your third harvest, your fourth harvest, they'd be bountiful, they'd be much, much bigger. But they didn't grab hold of that, and there are adverse consequences for them. And Paul's talking here, you know, he's kind of saying, look, guys, whoever sows generously will reap generously. If we learn to, if we learn to be extravagant givers then there will be an extravagant harvest of righteousness. So not, we're going to get loads of material possessions, because that's not what it's saying. But this idea that actually, if we understand giving, and get behind giving, then actually there will be favourable spiritual consequences. There will be a harvest of righteousness. And when you think about why it's important to understand giving, you look at those aspects of giving that we just covered now, about cost, about faith, about willingness, and about... Um, generosity, and that's what God embodies in his relationship with us. Yeah, so you think about what it costs God to send Jesus. You think about the faith, the stepping out, God moving first, knowing that he's going to get rejected, but still willingly entering into that. And then generosity, just going further than he could in terms of, you know, you could ever imagine with regard to grace. And this idea that God's inviting us as a people to model that, inviting us as individuals to model it, and he's inviting us as a church to model it. And in a you know, society that's pretty obsessed by money, that kind of the general rule is, even when you give, what do I get in return for my giving? Actually, that just cuts through. That not giving for what's in it for me. Actually, I'm going to embody these principles because of what it's, you know, it's the right thing to do. It just shows, shows who God is. And that's, um, that passage I mentioned earlier from... You know, 2 Samuel 24, where David says, you know, I'm not going to sacrifice the Lord. That's which costs me nothing. 
So that, that site eventually became the um, site of the temple in Jerusalem. So there were like massive consequences that David couldn't possibly foresee. In the same way that guy at New Wine, when he and his wife gave away their, you know, their deposit, they couldn't foresee what the consequences were going to be. If we, if we get behind it and step into that place, we're not going to be able to foresee what the consequences are, but there will be a favourable spiritual harvest. Paul's really clear about that here in 2 Corinthians. So try and pull it, just trying to pull it together. <clears throat> um, I guess, you know, I've done these kind of things before and people say, oh, how much should I give and what should I be giving? And it's not about that, actually. It's really not about that. I think it's not, you know, when you look at the Bible's teaching on giving, it's not what you give, it's how you give. That's what's really important. You know, I think if we focus on the how, then the what naturally follows. And so the, you know, the invitation to us this morning, I think, is to question ourselves. I've you know, got to question myself on, what's the how here? You know, when I look at you know, how God views giving, in terms of cost, in terms of faith, in terms of willingness, and in terms of um, generosity, how do, how do I stack up? And it's not just about money. It could be about you know, time. It could be about other resources, whatever it may be. But God says, look at what I've got, look at what I've given you, and now apply those tests. How are you doing, guys? There's an invitation to go into that place. And that was why, coming back to the story of the widow, it was, you know, that's what I love about God's upside-down economy. The Pharisees were all there thinking, oh, I'm doing well, giving all these big amounts of money away. Actually, God looks through it and says, I don't need your money. I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. But instead, God says, look, this is about me transforming you as a character. If you guys can learn to use, you know, have have that costly principle, that faith principle, that willingness principle, that um, generosity principle, then that will transform who you are. And that's more important to me than what you give. So we're going to go into um, into response now. I'm not quite sure where it goes. Talking about it beforehand, um, you know, it might be that there are implications this for us as church, and it might be that there are implications for us as individuals. Uh, and I think what we're going to do is we're just going to invite people to be quiet for a few minutes and just reflect, and perhaps ask God to. Um, put his finger on how he sees our giving. Yeah, because if you're like me, I'm closer to the Pharisee than I am the widow. And that's painful. Because actually then you kind of invite God to say, okay, what am I going to do about it? So we've got a few minutes, we'll just be, be quiet. And um, if you just put up the next slide, Colin. <clears throat> yeah, just some questions thinking about, I was preparing this, it's like, you know, when I look at my life, where is the sacrificial cost? In my life, where is the stepping out of my faith comfort zone going on at the moment? In my life, where is the cheerful, willing participation in God's work? And in my life, where's the generosity to give what is beyond naturally sensible? So we'll be quiet for a few minutes, and then Jenny's going to come up, and the band going to have some worship, and we'll see where it goes. And it might be that there needs to be some repentance, and we've got communion up here, if people feel that that would be, that would be helpful. But also it might be
that God's putting his finger on something in your life this morning. It might be that God's nudging you about something. And if that is the case, just really encourage you not to leave here this morning without dealing with that. You know, perhaps symbolically getting together with somebody, either me or some, you know, one of the band or somebody else you know, and just saying, look, just pray with me in this place, okay? So let's be quiet for a few minutes and then we'll, we'll see where it goes.